More horrendous news out of Maui just broke in the last few hours. So uh, we'll update you on that. Who is pulling Biden's puppet strings? You might be surprised at the answer, or maybe not. And racist NASCAR. <laughs> Here we go. Welcome to the Jay Sheldon Show. Happy Tuesday. Tuesday has arrived. We made it into Tuesday. And hope you are doing great as uh, we wake up across America. And um, we got all that and more coming up. It's going to be a busy show tonight. We also will have our book later on. We're reading George Orwell's Animal Farm. And we're at, uh, I think, Chapter 6. Yeah, so we'll start Chapter 6 tonight. Our live chat is open. Anything you want to say, promote, do, complain about, bitch about, I don't whatever. Just stick it in the live chat. I'll see it. We'll reply. Have a little conversation. Why not? You're part of the show, too, of course. Jump on in. Be a guest on the show. Why not? <laughs> All right. And, of course, our uh, follow button, it's right here. Just hit that. We're five away from hitting 100. Just five of you. That's all I need. Five people tonight. You hit that follow button if you haven't already. And you will make me a very happy little man. Little old man. All right. Our show tonight, we're going to just take a little short bit of time here and tell you about our sponsor, which is Blackout Coffee. Folks, Blackout Coffee, I am so proud to have them as a part of this show. They were founded on the principles of conservative values. The founders believe in the importance of hard work, personal responsibility, family, respect, and traditional American values. In addition to that, they make the best damn coffee you will ever taste. The best small batch, fresh roasted coffee, all done in-house. They source premium specialty green beans, grown at the perfect altitude, correct time of year, best soil, harvested at just the right time. They work with local co-ops and American farmers, and they grow this high-quality coffee, and they adopt a strict adherence to what is known as small-batch roasting for their coffee. Roasted, packed, and shipped with lightning speed, usually within 24 to 48 hours from the time you order. It's roasted, packed, shipped, and you get it at your door just a day or a few later. And, you know, you buy that crap on the store shelves. You don't know how long ago it was roasted, those beans. You know with blackout coffee. So not only are you getting an amazing, incredible cup of coffee, which, by the way, yes, there is a Dan Bongino blend. <laughs> we don't have the Jay Sheldon blend. Uh, maybe. Soon. We'll talk. We'll talk. Hmm. Anyway, you will get an amazing coffee and you'll get an amazing deal. Use the link in our show notes tonight and you can get yourself 20% off at checkout on your first order. 20% off with the promo code J20, J-A-Y-20. That's our promo code. You use that and you get yourself 20% off uh, from Blackout Coffee. There's the promo code. Check it out. Please do. And while we're on the subject of cool things, just another quick plug for the Trump Booking Tea Limited, Limited Edition. Available right now. The link is the top link in our show notes. And uh, we put this together. Our graphic designer here uh, put that uh, nice little take on uh, the mugshot. It's got our logo in the corner. And yes, you can pick yours up 
they only come in black because it looks great on black and uh, they, they got tons of sizes from XXS all the way to like 5XL so there's a shirt size for you in there somewhere pick one up limited edition collector's edition of the Trump booking tee from the Jay Sheldon show all right let's get into it and it ain't good I had to actually start with this because it's the most important news that popped today and it's frightening and it is what I told you was going to happen sadly apparently according to the Epic Times now more than 2,000 students are missing from Lahaina schools in the wake of the deadly fire folks this is just going to keep getting worse and worse. The fate of more than 2,000 students from Lahaina Public Schools is unknown. So far, these officials are sticking with this 115 death toll. But there are hundreds and now potentially thousands missing, including a majority being children. The department continues to navigate the significant impacts of the West Maui wildfires, which affected West Maui communities and schools in the Lahaina Luna complex. HDOE, that's the Hawaii State Department of Education. Superintendent Keith Hayashi said in a letter to the State Board of Education, the uh, wildfires, which happened August 8th, caused significant damage, of course, to that complex, including the King Kamahameha III Elementary School, Princess Nahienia Elementary School, Lahaina Intermediate School, and the Lahaila Luna High School. The Education Department report details the agency's response. School remains closed because of significant structural damage. According to the report, all four schools in the complex are awaiting official clearance to reopen. But as of now, the report is there are more than 2,000. Now, that's not to say that they all perished in the fire. Not to say that at all. But they are missing, unaccounted for, 2,000 students in Lahaina schools. And I'm telling you, it's just not breaking good at all for these people. And it just gets worse. All right. I had a thought. You know, we're always making fun of Joe Biden because he deserves it. Can you imagine if we actually wound up in a war and we likely are going to, civil or otherwise? Hmm. But can you imagine this moron as the commander-in-chief he can't make his way off a stage how is he going to be the commander-in-chief of our military defending our country he's not all these executive orders and all this bullcrap he comes out with folks the guy has full-blown dementia He's just not there. So, since obviously 
he's not coming up with all this crap. Who is? Like the headline says, who is the puppet master? For the past 16 months, both sides of the political aisle and the media have been pretty critical of Biden's foreign and domestic policies, rather warranted. question we've often heard is, who is really behind these policy decision-making? Regardless of who's actually making the decisions, the ultimate responsibility does belong to the president. If he just wants to smile and nod, smile and wave, boys. If you leave the gate open, the cows will wander off. So, if you intentionally leave the gate open, you want the cow to wander off. You cannot blame stupidness or laziness. This was intentional. If you cut police budgets, you will get more crime on the streets. Duh. If you intentionally cut police budgets, you wanted more crime on the streets. Cut back on the supply of oil? Guess what happens? The price goes up. And, to keep with our theme, if you intentionally cut back on the supply of oil, you wanted the gas prices to go up. Print trillions of dollars without a supply of goods to back it up. Inflation is going to hit you in the ass real hard. And if you did that intentionally, well, apparently, that's exactly what you wanted. Leave the southern border open. Drug trafficking, human trafficking, human sex trafficking. Do that intentionally. That must have been what you wanted all along. Do we know for sure who's behind some of these dumbest decisions ever made by any political party in any country, not just this? Well, the simplest answer, of course, is no, we don't. Susan Rice holds a very quiet, you know, you don't see her in the news like you used to, very quiet, but a very, very powerful perch at the White House. They make a convincing argument that one person in the White House having the most influence other than the Obama confidant, Susan Rice. There's an article by Chalfant and Parnes explains that when the White House press secretary, Corinne Jean-Pierre, faced questions recently about calls for the admin to tackle gun violence, she had an answer. Her answer? Susan Rice is in charge. Jean-Pierre says she's already leading a 12-person team from her perch atop the Domestic Policy Council to execute a government-wide effort to reduce gun violence that also brings in mental health, workforce development. There's no one better at bringing stakeholders to the table to drive progress. She's referring to Susan Rice. This announcement 
is a reminder that rice is at the center of major contentious policy debates, decisions on literally everything from gun violence, immigration, criminal justice reform, student loan debt. Now, if you're a news junkie, like I've seem to have turned into, you probably notice that Rice is leading on these issues very quietly. She has headlined a handful of roundtables at the White House on issues like racial equality, eviction uh, protection. She's also appeared at only one press briefing. In all this time, only one press briefing to answer reporters' questions six days after Biden took office. Rarely, rarely do you ever see her in a media interview. Now, we don't know, and we probably would never know, whether Biden simply appointed her to lead the domestic policy decisions, or if it was maybe part of a deal struck, which ensured Biden won the 2020 election. Really doesn't matter who's making the decisions. What matters is the fact the Biden administration policy decisions are destroying this country while placing an extremely difficult financial burden on 90% of all of us Americans. So if rice is the brains, or lack thereof, behind the decisions from the White House, does no good to lay all the blame at one individual's feet. We have the power, motivation, ambition to reverse these out-of-touch decisions that do nothing but create chaos and uncertainty. We, you and me, have the power. Small bites. Take them. Unbelievable. I gotta believe, I have always believed it was rice. But in the end, the buck stops at Biden's doorstep. So, hey, they've scheduled one of the trials in the Trump indictments. Uh, can you say election interference? This is from the Gateway Pundit. A far left DC judge schedules the trial in the Trump January 6th case one day before Super Tuesday. <laughs> They're not even trying to hide it anymore. They're not even trying to hide it. Three weeks before the New York trial. Tanya Chutkin set a trial date for March 4th, 2024 in the Washington, D.C. case. Earlier this month, of course, Trump hit with four counts in Jack Smith's January 6th case, conspiracy to defraud. Six months from now, the trial will closely precede Trump's New York City trial, where left-wing D.A. Alvin Bragg is trying to get Trump on bullshit hush money charges. But yeah, Super Tuesday, the largest multi-state election day 
on the primary calendar, and this moron judge schedules his case to begin one day before Super Tuesday. Like I said, election interference much? And they're not trying to hide it anymore. They, they don't care. They don't have to care. They have the power as long as we give it to them. Huh. Here's one just came out today. For all you COVIDiots out there, take a look at this. You know, this came out during the COVID pandemic. And people were just too blind or had cotton in their ears or whatever it was to realize. The difference between died with COVID or died because of COVID. According to the CDC, their own data, COVID is to blame for just one percent of the weekly deaths from all causes across the U.S. And it's just coming out now. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention COVID Dashboard 324 COVID deaths registered in the week ending August 19th. That is 1.7 percent of the overall deaths that week. For comparison, the virus was behind one in three deaths from all cause at America's pandemic peak in 2021. Look at the graph. The percentage of COVID deaths uh, ending August 19th in that week represents a slight increase from the previous week and continues a five-week upward trend, but a drastic decline from the peak of the pandemic when 30% of the deaths listed COVID as a cause. COVID data shows Washington, Florida, Tennessee, North Carolina, Maryland, and New York all have higher death rates due to COVID Maryland and Florida, the highest, 3.4%. Those are still very small numbers. More than two dozen states have experienced just one to nine deaths due to COVID. Data also shows the death rate is slightly higher among women than men. Interesting. And death rates highest in people 75 years and older. But, keeping the headline at the top, 1% of weekly deaths from all causes across the U.S. because of COVID, not with COVID. Makes a difference the way you count it. And of course, they were counting it in such a way that it would show the worst possible scenario. True or not? Hmm. True or not. Okay. We can't do a show without talking about the morons in California, can we? Mm-mm. Mm-hmm. Blackout coffee. Mm. Okay. Here we go. Woke Californians raging a legal war against school districts. Why? 
because of their gender identity parental notification policy. They're actually legally going after them in court because they want parents to be notified. California Attorney General Rob Bonta, Democrat, announced a legal challenge against Chino Valley Unified School District policy that requires schools to notify parents if their child seeks to identify as a member of the opposite sex. There is a policy from the school district they enacted that said you must notify the parents. Common sense. Within three days, too, by the way. It can't be, oh, it's been three months and we're notifying you now. No, it's within three days. The policy states the parent must be notified if a student asks to be identified or treated as a gender other than the student's biological sex or gender listed on their birth certificate or any other official record. That includes any request by the student to use a name that differs from their legal name, use pronouns that do not align with the student's biological sex or gender listed on their birth certificate, parent notification likewise required if the student uses a restroom designated for members of the opposite sex. Now this moron Bonta blasts the policy as destructive and discriminatory and dangerous, said the policy tramples on student rights. California, don't we love it? He said the policy has already harmed and continues to threat their mental, emotional, and physical well-being. It's just gonna keep going no matter what. They're actually taking them to court. Get out of California. Leave. Leave while you can. If you can. If you can't, I'm sorry. Stay and fight, but good luck. All right. Speaking of using the wrong bathroom, <laughs> remember this moron? Here, take a look. You will. You'll remember. Guess what? He's back. Well, he will be. The transvestite teacher with the gargantuan fake boobies is going to be returning to the classroom. His new school issues a warning to the parents. Not about him, but about his critics. Look at this idiot. The Canadian province of Ontario, this transvestite became an international sensation by wrangling parents over his preference for wearing massive breasts in the company of his students. He was placed on paid leave in March. Apparently he couldn't just stay away from the classroom for long. Carrie Lemieux, who calls himself Kyla, is kicking off the fall semester at a new school mm, where he will be able to make new generations of students feel uncomfortable. 
The head of his new school in Hamilton, Ontario, has since issued a warning to parents not that a controversial male teacher will be confronting their children, which is what they should be warning the parents about, but that his presence may trigger disruptions and protests. Despite being photographed walking around elsewhere without his costume on, Lemieux repeatedly claims his breasts were real, alleging they were enlarged as the result of a condition that afflicts some real women. Classified as giantomastia, which can also be referred to as macromastia or best breast hydro... whatever. Screwy, stupid thing. Woofius! Obviously clear Obama pulling Beijing Biden so-called strings explains why he's the placeholder president. Yeah, exactly. We've referred to it before this way. It's simply Obama's third term. It's all this Biden bullshit is. You're right, Wolfius, and thanks for the comment. Appreciate that. <laughs> anyway, so this moron teacher is coming back, and he's going to continue to cause issues because he just wants the attention. That's the only reason he's doing it. And, of course, here we are giving it to him. But there you go. From the Daily Wire, NASCAR being racist? What? Nah, the good old boys? The headline says, blatantly illegal. NASCAR has banned white applicants from their diversity internship. NASCAR you can't do that. They offer a paid diversity internship that excludes white people from applying on the basis of their race. A stipulation, a constitutional lawyer tells the Daily Wire, is blatantly illegal. The race car giant's diversity internship program says there are racial requirements the applicant must meet in order to be accepted. The first bullet point listed under the heading Program Requirements reads, Be a member of one or more of the following races slash ethnic minority classifications, Black or African American, American Indian or Alaska Native, Asian, Latino or Hispanic, Native Hawaiian, or other Pacific Islander. David Bernstein, professor at George Mason University, told the Daily Wire NASCAR's racially discriminatory program is blatantly illegal. Duh. Doesn't take a rocket science violates Title 12 and the 1866 Civil Rights Act. Having a 100% quota for minorities for a position is illegal, even under a very generous view of what is allowed 
according to Bernstein. If you're white, don't bother to apply because you don't qualify. All right, I am very sure, this just broke today, but I'm very sure if you're on any social media outlet, you have seen this, but it's well worth showing it to you again. Straight up comedy gold, says the Daily Wire. Applause as Nevada Rangers plow their truck into eco-protesters' blockade. They set up one of those stupid sit-down-in-the-middle-of-the-road blockades, block traffic and all. On the way to Burning Man in Nevada, by the way. Those people aren't going to put up with that crap. So the tribal police department took one of their trucks and drove it right through the blockade, breaking up the impasse that had gridlocked traffic for miles. About 150 vehicles were backed up because of these climate scam activist morons. One woman, Claire, chained herself to the trailer Signs that read general strike for climate and abolish capitalism. Take a look. Let's get the sound on because there's a lot of screaming. screaming. I love it. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It gets better. I think that was pepper spray he had in his either that or a taser. It wasn't his firearm. Oh man, you gotta love it. Absolutely love it. <laughs> nice job, Nevada tribal uh, police force there. Excellent. We love you guys. Video of the week. Absolute video of the week. <laughs> All right, we got one more to go here, and whoa, this is a weird one. It's a very weird one. Hang on, let me go full screen. This is so cool. There is sound, but it's not really relative to what's going on. I'll play it just so you have something to listen to besides my doubled voice. You remember yo-yos? Man, I had not thought about yo-yos in forever, but... I remember I used to be pretty good at a yo-yo. I don't think I could get one to even come back at this point. Take a look at this yo-yo champion. Whoa! This is insane. If you're you're listening listening to the podcast, podcast, check out the video on Rumble.com. Are you kidding me with this? nuts incredible incredible wow big round of applause for that guy 
That is insane. I couldn't do that on my best day. Like I said, I'd be lucky to let it go and it wouldn't come back. <laughs> Unbelievable. All right, let's uh, let's move on over to our book. We read books on this show. We started way back 430-something shows ago doing children's classic literature, mostly The Wizard of Oz, uh, White Fang, Peter Pan, Alice in Wonderland, The Little Prince. And then uh, we had a viewer suggest that we do 1984 George Orwell because it more fits the style of this show. And man, was he right. What a great book. Since we loved that one so much, when we finished that, we decided to keep on going with George Orwell, and we are reading Animal Farm. Love this one, too. We're on Chapter 6. We begin Chapter 6 tonight of, first published in 1944, George Orwell's Animal Farm. All that year, the animals worked like slaves, but they were happy in their work. They grudged no effort or sacrifice, well aware that everything they did was for the benefit of themselves and those of their kind who would come after them, not for a pack of idle, thieving human beings. Throughout the spring and the summer, they worked a 60-hour week, and in August, Napoleon announced there would be work on Sunday afternoons as well. The work was strictly voluntary, but... Any animal who absented himself from it would have his rations reduced by half. Even so, it was found necessary to leave certain tasks undone. The harvest was a little less successful than in the previous year, and two fields, which should have been sown with, with roots in the early summer, were not sown, because the plowing hadn't been completed early enough it was possible to foresee that the coming winter would be a hard one. The windmill presented unexpected difficulties. There was a good quarry of limestone on the farm, and plenty of sand and cement had been found in one of the outhouses, so all the materials for the building were at hand. The problem was the animals could not at first solve how to break up the stone into pieces of a suitable size. Seemed no way of doing this except with picks and crowbars, which no animal could use, because no animal could stand on his hind legs. Only after weeks of vain effort did the right idea occur to somebody, namely to use the force of gravity. Huge boulders, far too big to be used as they were, were laying all over the bed of the quarry. The animals lashed ropes around these, and then all together, cows, horses, sheep, any animal that could hold the rope, even the pigs sometimes, joined in at critical moments. They dragged them with desperate slowness up the slope to the top of the quarry, where they were toppled over the edge to shatter to pieces below. Transporting the stone when it was once broken was comparatively simple. The horses carried it off in cartloads, sheep dragged single blocks, even Muriel and Benjamin yoked themselves into an old governess cart and did their share. Well, by late summer, a sufficient store of stone had accumulated, and then the building began under the superintendence of the pigs. 
but it was a slow, laborious process. Frequently, it took a whole day of exhausting effort to drag a single boulder to the top of the quarry. Sometimes, when it pushed over the edge, it failed to break. Nothing could have been achieved without Boxer, whose strength seemed equal to that of all the rest of the animals put together. When the boulder began to slip, the animals cried out in despair at finding themselves dragged down the hill. It was always Boxer who strained himself against the rope and brought the boulder to a stop. To see him toiling up the slope, inch by inch, his breath coming fast, the tips of his hooves clawing at the ground, and his great sides matted with sweat, filled everyone with admiration. Clover warned him sometimes to be careful not to overstrain himself, but Boxer would never listen to her. His two slogans, I will work harder and Napoleon is always right, seemed to him a sufficient answer to all problems. He'd made arrangements when the cockerel to call him three quarters of an hour earlier in the mornings instead of in half an hour. And in his spare moments, of which there were not many nowadays, he'd go alone to the quarry, collect a load of broken stone, and drag it down to the site of the windmill, unassisted. The animals were not badly off throughout the summer, in spite of the hardness of their work. If they had more food than they had had in Jones's day, at least they did not have less. The advantage of only having to feed themselves and not having to support five extravagant human beings as well was so great that it would have taken a lot of failures to outweigh it. In many ways, the animal method of doing things was more efficient, saved labor. Such jobs as weeding, for instance, could be done with a thoroughness impossible for human beings. And again, since no animal now stole, it wasn't necessary to fence off pasture from arable land, which saved a lot of labor on the upkeep of hedges and gates. Nevertheless, as the summer wore on, various unforeseen shortages began to make themselves felt. There was a need of paraffin oil, nails, string, dog biscuits, and iron for the horse's shoes none of which could be produced on the farm. Later, there'd also be a need for seeds, artificial manures, besides various tools, and finally, the machinery for the windmill. How these were to be procured? Nobody was able to imagine. One Sunday morning, when the animals assembled to receive their orders, Napoleon announced that he had decided upon a new policy. From now onward, Animal Farm would engage in trade with the neighboring farms. Not, of course, for any commercial purpose, but simply in order to obtain certain materials which were urgently necessary. The needs of the windmill must override everything else, he said. He was therefore making arrangements to sell a stack of hay and part of the current year's wheat crop Later on, if more money were needed, it'd have to be made up by the sale of eggs, 
for which there was always a market at Wildington. The hens, said Napoleon, should welcome this sacrifice as their own special contribution towards the building of the windmill. Now, once again, the animals were conscious of a vague uneasiness. Never to have any dealings with humor, human beings, never to engage in trade, never to make use of money. Had these not been among the earliest resolutions passed at the first triumphant meeting after Jones was expelled? All the animals remembered passing such resolutions, or at least they thought they remembered it. The four young pigs who'd protested when Napoleon abolished the meetings raised their voices timidly, but they were promptly silenced by a tremendous growling from the dogs. Then, as usual, the sheep broke into four legs good, two legs bad, and the momentary awkwardness was smoothed over. Well, finally, Napoleon raised his trotter for silence and announced he'd already made all the arrangements. There'd be no need for any of the animals to come in contact with human beings, which would clearly be most undesirable. He intended to take a whole burden upon his own shoulders. A Mr. Wimper, a solicitor living in Willingdon, had agreed to act as intermediary between Animal Farm and the outside world would visit the farm every Monday morning to receive his instructions. Napoleon ended his speech with his usual cry of Long live Animal Farm! And after the singing of Beast of England, the animals were dismissed. And that's where we'll pop off for tonight and pick it up again at that spot on tomorrow's show. All right. Thank you so much for popping by. I really appreciate it. Be sure you hit that follow button. Oops, it's over there. Hit that follow button if you would. It's free for you. Absolutely free on our way to hit over 100. Yes, if we hit over 100, I will be so happy. Make me happy. I only need five of you to do it. Just hit that follow button. It's free, and it helps the show. We thank you. Check out all of our great sponsors. Check out our Trump Booking Tea Limited Edition. Only available for about a week, and then it's gone when it's gone. It's gone. And I will see you all again 